Oh, man, the Lord is good. And he's worthy of our attention, of our honor. Uh, so, you know, we talk about how, you know, this church is about the presence. This is a day that we really get to, <laughs> to say it's about the presence. <laughs> and we're here for him, and he's here for us. Amen? Okay, so I just want to take a minute before we start, just everybody, just close your eyes and just allow yourself to feel the rest of the Lord. Allow your ears to hear his voice. Allow your eyes to see him. Let your heart feel loved by him. His attention is very much on his people this morning. And God, our attention is on you. And we say, you have the words of life. And so as we open your word this morning, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to breathe on it and to make it come alive and make it be powerful and make it transform us in your presence. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So a few weeks ago, I did a partial message on perfect unity. Is anybody here for that? Okay. So that was based on a word by Jeremy a few months ago where he said it's time to unify and occupy. Okay. So at one point, I, I may and probably am going to finish that message. But today I want to talk about the occupy part of that word. Okay? Are you guys okay? You ready? So first, let's review a little bit about perfect unity. Okay? Jesus said in his prayer, right before the cross, which is recorded for us in John 17, he said, I have given them, talking about us, the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you loved me. Okay? So Jesus prayed that we, as the body of Christ on the earth, together would be so one with him that people would experience him everywhere we are. Okay? It's the kind of unity where we are so at one with Jesus that we are in unity with him with every step that we take, just like he was in unity with the Father on the earth, okay? It's the kind of unity that begins in the relationship in heaven between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we've been invited into that unity, that relationship 
um, that's in heaven so that it can be demonstrated through us on the earth. Okay? You guys okay so far? We cannot have unity in our earthly relationships until it first begins in that relationship in heaven. Okay? So any kind of unity where we have to withhold from our relationship with the Lord and operate outside of the counsel of the Holy Spirit, the standard of Jesus, or the word of the Father is not real unity and will have no lasting fruit. Okay? So that's the review about perfect unity. So now, occupy is when our outward environment looks like an inward environment that is in perfect unity with the Spirit, who is, at perfect, who is in perfect unity with Jesus, who is in perfect unity with the Father. Okay? You want me to say that again? Occupy is when our outward environment looks like an inward environment that is in perfect unity with the Spirit, who is in perfect unity with Jesus, who is in perfect unity with the Father. In other words, when our outward environment reflects that we have an inward unity with heaven. Okay? You guys okay so far? Let's talk about what that means. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 62. The book of Isaiah was written in a time of great darkness. But it is a book that is full of a message of hope. The name Isaiah means the Lord saves or Yahweh saves. It contains more prophecies about the Messiah than any other book in the Old Testament. And in a time when, when the people of God were in great sin... Isaiah mentions Israel's Redeemer 27 times. Okay? So after Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would come, beginning in chapter 60, he starts to talk about the coming glory of the kingdom of God. And Isaiah 60, verse 1, begins by saying, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness the people, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Okay? So that's how it starts. You guys okay? So then it goes on and in chapter 61, it starts describing the ministry of Jesus. And it's, in fact, it's a, it's a passage that Jesus read from in Luke chapter 18, and he declared today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay? It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide For those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. 
They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. That is available. <laughs> that is the ministry of Jesus. Okay? So it goes on and on and on about what that looks like, the ministry of Jesus. But in chapter 62, he starts to talk about the future of the land. Okay? You guys okay so far? So in chapter 62, starting in verse 1, it says, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or, your, or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah in your land Beulah, for the Lord will take great delight in you and your land will be married. Okay? So it says your land will be married, which means to be possessed or to be occupied. Okay? Does that make sense so far? If you're wondering if, well, this is talking about Zion in Jerusalem. Isn't that a place that was in the past? Or isn't that a physical place in the presence? In the present? <laughs> if you're wondering about that, it says in Hebrews chapter, tw chapter two, 12, talking about us, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn. That's us. Whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, the spirits of righteous men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and a sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Okay? So when it talks about the glory of Zion and the coming land to be married, it's not just talking about a physical place. It's talking about the church. It's talking about the, the, the glory of the Lord coming upon the church. Okay? You guys okay so far? Okay? So let's talk about why do you think that Jerusalem is so special to God? You know, some, I know that, you know, the Temple of Solomon was there, which held the presence of the Lord, and it's the capital of Israel. But long before there was a Temple of Solomon, Israel was a nation who worshiped the Lord, and it wasn't in Jerusalem. And the people of Israel inhabited the Promised Land long before uh, Jerusalem became the capital. Jerusalem did not become the capital of Israel until David conquered the stronghold of Zion seven years after he became king. Okay? So let's go back way before that, way before Israel became a nation to the time of Abraham. Okay? God came to Abraham and he promised him, hey, your descendants will possess this land. I am giving them this land. Okay, does that make sense? And so when God made this, this, um, this promise over Abraham, he had no children. So when Abraham was 99, God comes to Abraham. He says, okay, it's time for me to fulfill my promise. You're going to have a son now. 
and they had a son with your wife, Sarah, and, you, and they named him Isaac, okay? Several years later, after Isaac was older, God comes to Abraham again, and he says, hey, Abraham, go to the mountain, to the region of Moriah, and offer Isaac there as a sacrifice. Sounds ominous. So Abraham gets up early the next morning, and he takes Isaac, and they go to the region of Moriah. And when they get there, Abraham turns to his servant, and he says to him, in the, in the and the, the language is very intentional and very emphatic. And he says, we will worship and we will come back to you. And so he takes Isaac and he starts to ascend the mountain. And Isaac says, hey, dad, where's the sacrifice for the offering? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. And so they get to the place and Abraham binds Isaac to the altar and he raises his knife to slay his son, and God stops him, and he provides a ram in the bush for the, for the offering. And so God then tells Abraham, because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, because you've not withheld this from me, I will surely bless you. And I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And your descendants will possess the gates and inherit the cities of your enemies. And I will bless all the nations of the earth through you. Okay? Isaac did not just represent a son that Abraham loved. Although that would have been enough. Isaac represented all of the promises of God on Abraham's life. Everything that Abraham had sacrificed... Everything that he had walked away from to gain something he believed God for was all wrapped up in Isaac. And what God wanted to know from Abraham is, Abraham, do you still believe me now that you hold the promise in your hands? Now that you've possessed the thing you believe me for, do you still believe me enough to, to give it back to me so that I can increase it? Do you believe me that much? Was it always about what you could receive? Was it always about receiving the promise? Or do you still believe me? Okay? Does that make sense? You guys okay? So also, in addition to that, God wanted to show his nature to who would become the people of Israel. Because the gods that the people of earth served during that time would oftentimes require the firstborn of a, of a person who wanted power or favor or blessing. They would require the firstborn as a sacrifice. And God says, hey, I want you to know I will not require this from you. Not only will I not require this for you, I will pay that price for you. And I will give you my firstborn son. I'll give you my son. I will provide the lamb. Okay? And that place where God showed his nature, where he provided a lamb who would be, was a picture of the coming Messiah, of the coming son of God, that place became, that region of Moriah became Jerusalem. Okay? Does that make sense? So, 
that became the place where the Temple of Solomon was and where generations later, Jesus was crucified in the place of Moriah. So Jerusalem is special to God because the blood of Jesus was spilled there for the sins of the whole world. But it's also special to God because one man chose to believe him and withhold nothing and say, I, I, it's not about the promises, it's about your presence. Even though I hold the promise in my hand, it's about you. And I will give it back to you if I can have you. Okay? Does that make sense? In, for Abraham, in possessing nothing, he found he possessed everything. Okay? Occupying begins by learning that we possess nothing. Okay? Does that make sense? We possess the promises of God. We do. But we don't possess them in such a way that we take them apart from the presence. Okay? Does that make sense? We can't occupy when we take his promises apart from the presence. Okay? And so many times, what holds us back from advancing and from, uh, from gaining more of the promises of God and from getting increase is not the enemy. It's our hesitancy to lay down what we already possess if God is asking us to. Okay? Does that make sense? God is not in the habit of, uh, of asking us back for something that he gives us unless he's about to increase it. Okay? I used to have this dog that I would, uh, I would give her a bone and she would like run off in, in the corner like as far away as she could get. And if I took like one step in her direction, she'd be like, <sighs> like I was going to take her bone back from her. And I was like, I would not, like, I gave you that. I'm not going to take it back from you. And God is not in the habit of just taking things back from us unless he's like, hey, I have a bigger, of something bigger. I have increase. I have something I want to do. And I want to know, do you still believe me? Or did you just want the bone? Did you just want the promise? Okay? Are you guys okay? Does that make sense? (laughs) It starts with possessing nothing. So let's talk about Zion for a minute. Because Zion and Jerusalem are not synonyms. Okay? Zion is this place inside of Jerusalem. Okay? So when the children of Israel conquered the promised land. It says this in Joshua chapter 15, verse 63. Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. And to this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. Okay? So again, we find out that this inheritance that was given to the tribe of Judah, they could not drive out the people. And so they shared the land and they made agreements with the people who were there, okay? So generations later, David, who is from the tribe of Judah, became king. And he reigned in Hebron for seven years until he said, hey, that, that land is my inheritance. That land is the inheritance of Judah. And so he went and he conquered the, the, um, the place within Jerusalem called Zion was this, this stronghold or this fortress that was considered impenetrable. And that's why 
the, the tribe of Judah never conquered it. And they just decided, we'll just live here with them. But David said, I'm going to conquer Zion. And when he conquered Zion, it became known as the city of David. Okay? It became his inheritance. Okay? He did not, he refused to negotiate for his inheritance. He occupied. Does that make sense? He made the stronghold of Zion the city of David. Okay? So when he did this, one of the first things that he did was to bring the ark of the Lord, which represents the throne of the Lord on the earth, which was in the tabernacle of Moses. He brought the ark of the Lord into the stronghold of Zion, or the city of David. And he set it up there in the city of David, and he put a tent over it, and he um, commissioned a group of priests and, and musicians to minister to the Lord and to worship the Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay? Does that make sense? So they would not only minister and worship the Lord, they were also supposed to, the musicians were also supposed, supposed to prophesy the word of the Lord from the presence of the Lord. Okay? And that became known as Zion. Okay, so Zion became known, if you read the Psalms, that's why there's so many Psalms that talk about Zion, because they were written during this time when the presence of the Lord was dwelling in Zion, and so they would write songs, and what it meant, what Zion meant is the presence of the Lord. Okay, when it talks about Zion, it means the presence of the Lord is here, but it's not just his ministering presence. It's his ruling presence. Okay? It's his, it's his authority. It's where his words go out as decrees throughout all the earth. Okay? That's what, they, that's what those musicians who were prophesying were doing. They were hearing the word of the Lord and they were echoing the decrees from the throne of the Lord throughout all the earth. Okay? Does that make sense? Are you guys okay? So David wanted the people to know, hey, I might be king, but I govern at the pleasure of the word of the Lord. And God is my king. And when I rule, it it will be his words that are the law of the land. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay? Occupying establishes Jesus, his king. And I will not negotiate with a lesser power. Okay, does that make sense? Um, It welcomes his presence, but not just his ministering presence. Oh, Lord, minister to me, although that's important. It welcomes his ruling presence, where I will position myself to hear the words of my king, and I will echo his decrees to the end of the earth. That's Zion. Okay, (laughs) does that make sense? All right, are you guys okay? Occupying is not about establishing our authority, okay? It's not about setting ourselves up as, as, a, as an authority who governs and people, and, and my voice is the only one who can hear from the Lord, Okay? If you experience that, you need, it's very dangerous. You need to run far away from it. Okay? 
<laughs> because David, even though he was king, uh, he set up a throne of the Lord and said, the Lord is king. And he commissioned a team of priests and musicians to also hear and be in the presence of the Lord, hear the word of the Lord, and prophesy the word of the Lord. Okay? Anyone who sets themselves up as the only one who can hear from God for you or for a group of people, is, it's counterfeit occupation. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. So, Jesus... Jesus' ruling presence, all right? So back to Isaiah chapter 62. It ends with saying, uh, no longer will, you call, will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah in your land Beulah. For the Lord will take great delight in you and your land will be married. Okay, that Hephzibah means my delight is in her. That's what that means, Okay. And Beulah, or that word, means to be married. So it means to be married or to be owned or to take possession or have dominion. Okay, does that make sense? It means to occupy um, the land. And, but it's, it's more than that because it means to be married. Okay, does that make sense? So... The English translators, I don't know actually where they got the word Beulah. I don't know if that's an English word that means something where they got that. Because that has nothing to do, the Hebrew word is not Beulah. The he, I think that they threw that word in there because if they would have used the Hebrew word, it would have been very confusing. Because the Hebrew word that is used there is Baal. Some words sound familiar. <laughs> Um, it is actually the verb form of the noun Baal, and Baal means to, to be lord or owner or husband. Okay, it's actually used of the Lord in Isaiah 54 when it says, the Lord is your husband, your maker is your husband. Okay, but <laughs> the, the, the people of earth have, when they've worshipped entities, an entity or entities other than the Lord, they've called it Baal. Okay, and one of those times was in the time of Elijah when there was this big showdown on Mount Car Carmel where Elijah called down fire from heaven to expose Baal as a false power. Okay, but the reason that this is such a big deal because when the people of God were worshiping Baal, it was like, or an entity or entities that they called Baal that uh, the ultimate apostasy in that is that they were calling someone else, some other entity, their husband. And, and God was known as the husband of Israel. And they were calling some other power their owner. And they were giving some other belief permission to have dominion over them. And that is that was a place that was reserved for God alone. So it was the ultimate apostasy to call something different Baal. Okay? Does that make sense? Um, so every time that we let fear have dominion, every time we let the fear of man have power over us, every time we let our desires rule over us, we are giving 
something else or someone else that place that belongs to only God. Okay? Because we cannot occupy until we ourselves are occupied. Okay? We cannot have dominion until we let him have dominion over us. Okay? Does that make sense? So... When during the time of Elijah, when Israel was serving this other entity that they called Baal, um, and I'm not suggesting that we assign that title to God. God is Yahweh, okay? I'm suggesting the position and the power that they gave this other entity belonged only to the Lord, which we know. So during this time, after Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal, he became scared and he ran away. Because Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. And so he ends up at Mount Horeb, and he's alone, and he's defeated. So God comes to him, and he says, hey, Elijah, I want you to come out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. I'm about to pass by. Okay? So this great windstorm comes by, and it breaks apart the mountain, and it shatters the rocks. But it says God was not in that. God was not in the wind. And then there comes an earthquake, and it says God was not in the earthquake. And then there comes a fire, and it says God is not in the fire. And then there was a still, small voice, a gentle whisper, where Elijah recognized that's the voice of the Lord. And the thing about that time is, like, Baal, the Baal that, that Israel was worshiping, worshiping was known as the God of abundance, because he, he was the one that they believed brought the rain. He was the storm God. He was the God that, that brought the storm and the rain. So every time that they experienced some force of nature, they attributed that to Baal. Okay? So when this happened with Elijah, God wants you to know, hey, I'm not in all of that. Okay? Because there are demonic entities on the earth that can mimic the actions of God and make you believe that they are acting, that they're, the things that they're doing, God is doing it. Because it's powerful. It's supernatural. They can mimic the actions of God, but they are not God. He is the maker of the wind. He is the master of the storm. He is the creator of all things. So when it gets really loud and it's screaming and it's chaotic out there, he comes opposite of what's out there to let you know, hey, that's not me. This is me. And I am above all of that. I can change things with a gentle whisper. I don't need to get loud. Amen. Exactly. I don't need, in fact, he wants you to come close enough to hear the gentle whisper in the middle of the storm. Okay? He can bring the storm, but he doesn't need to. And he wants to know, hey, in the middle of all this chaos, in the middle of all this noise, in the middle of the great acts of of a power out there, can you hear the thing I'm doing that's opposite? Do you know the difference between what is me and what is not me? Because when we are occupied, we are not easily moved by what's out there. When we allow him to have dominion over us, things out there cannot move us. Okay? Does that make sense? That's what it means to occupy, is when we are not 
easily moved by what we see because we know the voice of the one who loves us. Okay? Does that make sense? (laughs) So to occupy means it begins with possessing nothing, but in possessing nothing, we possess everything. (laughs) And it establishes, say, Jesus is king. I don't just want his ministering presence. I want his ruling presence. I want to sit in the stronghold of Zion where Jesus is king. And I want my words to echo the the decrees of the Lord, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And I don't want to give some other name, some other power, some other entity place in me that belongs to only him. I'm going to let him have dominion over me because as I am occupied by him, my outward environment becomes like my inward environment. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. Are you guys okay? All right. You guys can stand up. I'm going to read a couple of psalms over us that mention Zion, and I just want you to get in receive mode, and we're going to, when I finish reading these scriptures, we're going to worship, and I want you to know that there's an invitation from the Lord today to press in and to say, hey, I'm not going to look at the external. I'm not going to be moved by the, by the storm and the noise and the chaos. I'm going to press in for the gentle whisper. I'm going to press in for what the King of Kings is saying. Psalm 65 says, Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. Blessed are those you choose to bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, your holy temple. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God, our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth. Psalm 32 says, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. And I will bless her with double portions. And her poor will I satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation. And her saints will ever sing for joy. Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed ones. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. But the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and he terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill, and I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, and today I've become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. Yes, God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God, even the sparrow has found a home and a swallow, a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. 
Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. They have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they will make it into a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Not weakness to strength. They go from strength to strength until each appears before you in Zion. Hear my prayer. O Lord God Almighty, look with favor on your anointed one. For better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. God, we thank you for your ruling presence. We thank you that you are here. We thank you for your decrees. We thank you that the nations of this earth are our inheritance because of Jesus. Because they are his, then they are ours. And we declare that the nations of the earth will know you as King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you for what you're doing all over the earth. We thank you for pouring out your spirit all over the earth. We thank you for inviting us to come near to hear the gentle whisper of the Lord. We thank you that you show us your nature in the middle of the storm and you say, hey, I am not like that out there. I am above it. I am higher. I am king of kings, and I am lord of lords, and I will reign with my church on the earth. You guys are free to sing. You guys are free to just come up here and just be living room style, just get in the presence of the Lord, worship, press in. This is an opportunity. We have an amazing worship team. I'm thankful for them every week. But I'm thankful for a church that doesn't need to be led in worship, who can lead themselves in worship. Because you are worthy. You are worthy. So 